0: Hey, goal getters! Maggie with a Sweat Life here today. I interviewed Rafe Offer, who is the co-founder of So Far Sounds. So Far Sounds is a small, intimate experience for live music that occurs all over the world now in over 400 cities. But Rafe had no idea what he was really tapping into when he started this musical concept. It really just came out of a frustration with wanting to hear good music and be in the moment. And all of the concerts he was attending, he really couldn't do that. So, you'll hear in this episode how he took a passion project and expanded it to a global community where he'll find people that he feels like he knows and is already friends with, no matter where they live in the world, through So Far Sounds. Rafe has a huge list of accomplishments, but that global community that he created with So Far Sounds is his biggest one. And so you're going to hear in this episode, all of the various things that make this type of musical experience so magical, so different than what you might find at another concert or really another event. And you'll hear how we talk about the element of just being human is something that we're all craving. And it's really hard to find in this day and age when cell phones rule and our productivity is equivalent to our success, and so he'll talk about how he finds success by being able to take a step back and unplug and get rid of the tech for a while, and a lot of that has been through his journey with building out the community that is So Far Sounds. I hope you have as much fun listening to this interview as I had conducting it. This is my We Got Goals interview with Rafe Offer. Yeah, I will be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. Thank you so much, Rafe, for joining us on the We Got Goals podcast all the way from London. It is so awesome to have you here.
1: Thank you, Maggie. It's good to be here.
0: So, Rafe, I mean, you, you know that this podcast is around goal setting in general, and I can't wait to jump into to talking about all those things because really, like, from your core, you are an innovator, from being a global marketing director of Disney and Coca-Cola and director of innovation at Diageo and, and also not to mention the co-founding, director of uh, the global music concert series so far sounds it's just it's a huge huge list of accomplishments so i don't really even know where to begin <laughs> mm-hmm. but i i am so um i'm so excited to hear sort of your journey from going from global marketing director of this really you know m- huge companies to launching a very startup business that is now huge and global as well um, But Let's jump right in. (laughs) I'd love to hear first from you sort of why you chose to go from global marketing director of a huge company to launching something new. What was the need to start So Far Sounds?
1: Sure. So I guess there's two parts to that. I had worked for three really big companies. And while I I loved each one in different ways, I think eventually uh, I was really keen to do something more grassroots and more with my friends and something that was born out of a hobby and something I was really interested in. I've always felt that to be an entrepreneur is so intimidating and, and potentially really difficult that you want to pick something you, you love to do because you're going to do a lot of it. And working for massive companies is exciting, but of course I didn't invent Coke or Disney. And so I'm somebody who's part of a great and sometimes really exciting machine, but I wanted to get to the point where I was controlling my own
0: destiny. And music was, is huge in your life. Has it always been? Massive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always been a big part of who I am. Um, unlike some, I'm not a musician. I'm just a fan and I love listening and I love being in the moment. And that's kind of where so far I ended up being born was just from a fan's frustration.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know the idea that, you know, you go to a concert to see a musician that you love and then you don't even really get to experience to the fullest extent what the benefits of that music is because of the the crowd around you and the Mm. you know people bumping up against you and so somehow you you totally switched up the game I want to hear uh like the first inception of like let's create this small musical concert series in someone's living room like where did that come from and and what were some of the first initial uh pieces of the puzzle
1: yeah it was a moment in time where everything just sort of clicked. So I was at a gig and I was there with two friends, one I had just met very recently, one I'd known a little longer for a little longer. And we were all listening to this band in the UK called the Friendly Fires. And it actually astonished us that the band was playing and they were a loud band and we could not hear them that well because people were talking throughout the room and people were texting. So they weren't into the music or really focusing on it all the time. And then just as kind of annoying, the bar was open and you could hear the clanging of the beer bottles in the background. So this was this moment where we're like, this is not okay. Why, what is wrong with this picture? We're here to try to hear some really good music and there's all these distractions. And then the sidebar conversation that ensued afterwards was this is normal. It's normal to try to focus, but as a fan, not really be able to. And Dave, one of the three of us at the time was a musician. And he said, yeah, oh my God, it's soul destroying to be up on a stage playing music that maybe people don't know. And half of them aren't really there. You know, they're doing all those other things that I mentioned. So we just said, let's go out and try to fix this in our own tiny way. And having a background in innovation and some big companies, I knew a little bit about process and, you know, testing things. So we said, well, let's just do it once. So we went to one of our houses and we just said, hey, to the 10 people who came, just do us a favor. And if you're going to drink something, just wait until after the music's over. Focus, stay in the moment and let's just be present and see what happens. That's how it started.
0: God, that's so fascinating because maybe you didn't even realize like 10 years ago how big mindfulness would become and how much of a buzzword it is now, but it really is like the essence of mindfulness in practice.
1: It was so true. It was the freeing nature of putting everything aside and just sinking into the music. And we did it because we felt that the artists deserved our attention and we Thought we might enjoy it more, but without you know using that term, which of course, as you said, has sort of exploded more recently. It, I guess it was that, and that's maybe looking back on it, one of the reasons we loved it so much. It freed us to be there in the moment and forget about everything else. If we had a bad day, you know, at the door, if we were worried about something the next day at the door. Uh, We were there with the music and with each other and nothing else.
0: Man. And so, and then after the first concert, was it sort of this feeling of, this feels good. We got to keep doing this.
1: Totally. It was one gig at a time. The
0: Mm -hmm. first one
1: happened, felt really good. We like, let's do it again. We all had busy lives and jobs. So we said, Hey, let's try it again in a month. So we did a second time, same rules. Invited the same people, maybe a few more, and we liked the second one. The weird thing, though, was by the time we got to the third one, there was a line out the door and around the corner. And <laughs> we didn't know any of those people. So we were astonished mm-hmm. that people showed up and they just said, hey, we had heard about this from such and such, we told such and such, and we're like, cool, but we couldn't fit everybody. So at that point, we realized we had to keep it a secret. It was never a intentional, oh, let's make it cool and let's make it a secret gig. It was more like we can only fit so many people. It's in a living room. Mm -hmm. So if we know who's coming and then reveal the address that day, we'll be able to manage how many people show up and can fit in the room. So it was about that time when there were so many people we were like, whoa, there's more than just the few of us who think this might be kind of fun.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny because I don't think there's really another company that does something quite like what you guys do at So Far Sounds in that people are signing up for something they're not really sure about yet. They don't know where they're going until 24 hours in advance, and they never know who the artists will be, and that's very intentional.
1: It is, and that came out of actually one of my co-founders' brains, Dave, the musician, David Alexander, He said that one of the problems on the nights was that people would come for their favorite act and they would be not mindful, to use the term we used before, and worse with the other acts. So maybe the first band was on and they didn't care about them. So that's when they'd be smoking out back or talking or getting their drinks. And then, ah, the main event is on the third one. That was the first issue. And we just said, well, hang on. Everybody's equal. And everyone's going to be equal on our night. So if somebody's a little more famous than somebody else, that doesn't matter. We don't believe in headliners. So that's kind of how the concept started. And then the weird thing was for the bands, as it evolved, it became really special. Because all of a sudden, they got a bunch of fans who didn't know them. So Mm -hmm. they were thrilled that all these people would show up who were open-minded, but also were potentially new fans.
0: And I think also what, what's that, what that does is it gets people out of their habitual act of thinking that they know what they're getting into, and then if they have certain expectations about what that's going to be, and then there, there may be the element of being let down or thinking that a concert wasn't as good. You're just kind of wiping the slate clean and providing a space for people to just come and be human.
1: Totally. And what we've found, and actually we were really surprised by not announcing the act, people come much more open-minded. And even if they don't absolutely love every one of the three acts, they do love the sense of being in the moment and that humanity that's in the room and that encouragement to put your phone down for a little bit. Yeah. If you want to snap a picture fine or post it a little bit later, fine, but be there with a bunch of other human beings, be in the moment, take it all in, and surprise, surprise, what came out of it was a real community. And people ended up meeting people in between the acts and before and afterwards, because they're much more open-minded to that moment. And unlike what I would just call a traditional gig, where people might be in the back and by the bar and uh, it's dark and there's a different vibe. This was a much more communal feeling. And that sense of I'm going to open myself up to the world uh, allows people to be much more friendly and much more open to their surroundings.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think b- it speaks for itself how quickly it's grown Then now you have hosted over 20,000 concerts in 10 years, over you know 400 cities in the world, that that's all these little things that you're talking about, the very simple concept of just showing up and being human and being all there. It's simple and yet we're all craving it because obviously people have been clamoring to attend and to host and be a part of so far.
1: Yeah, that was maybe the biggest surprise. So a fun stat is I know personally 16 16- Couples who met it so far and end up getting married. Wow! And I think part of that is because of that sense of you're just you've got your eyes open to the world, and a lot of people come on dates, and a lot of people come along for just the adventure of going to somewhere to hear bands or or poets or whatever's on the night that they're not expecting. What I think was most shocking about it, and the twenty thousand concerts later. And growing was that people really all around the world felt the same way. And the sense of the importance of being in the moment, of being mindful of your surroundings, of letting go of technology for a little while and and everything short of holding hands, that is a global thing. And wherever we are in the world, we crave that.
0: Truly. At A Sweat Life, we always encourage people to meet somebody that they haven't met before when they come to one of our events. It's like one of the staple things that we always mm-hmm. do. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, it, it's simple, you know, it's simple to introduce yourself, but too often we show up to a, a place altogether and you never learn their name. And then mm-hmm. you may even see people a million times and still never learn their name. And so it, it's sort of this like culture of being really social and at the same time very antisocial. So this really cuts through.
1: We often have a moment in between acts where the MC will ask people to high five your neighbor and say hello or, (laughs) or find somebody behind you. You don't know, and make up the name of a band.
0: That's awesome.
1: You know, like someone thought of toxic candy the other day. I'm like, that's a cool band name.
0: It could be a band.
1: (laughs) Maybe there is one. So probably we try to really strongly encourage that, that communal nature and like you just mentioned, we're very uh, supportive of people doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, at what point, or was there a point at which you're, you know, you're on your own track of pursuing a, a career in as a global director of a major brand? And was there a point where you thought that your calling was to ded- dedicate all of your time to to grow this thing that is yours?
1: Oh, that came from the point when a hobby went from one hour to five hours to 10 hours to 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started getting calls from people I didn't know in cities I couldn't pronounce the name of. And I thought, gosh, this hobby is getting very busy. And just pragmatically, I don't have enough hours in the day. And I love it. So there was a kind of a tipping point five years into it where we were in dozens of cities and doing many many gigs and i just thought hobby no it's too busy for that and i have to find a way to make it sustainable and my wife helped and that like you know how many hours are you spending a week on this hobby of yours you know it's it's time to figure out a way uh, to do it to do what you love and do it in a way that can feed the family and do it in a way that can help sustain it
0: mm-hmm I wanted to know uh, if there were elements of, I'm sure there were, fear in making that choice to uh, innovation is in kind of your DNA with the the work that you do, but innovating within the safe concepts of like working for a brand that already has a path laid out versus really charting off on your own territory.
1: It's like jumping off a cliff and not really knowing what's on the other side and hoping you're going to land on water or sand. I think it's terrifying, especially when you've had jobs with companies that um, have money and are safe and have been around for a while. So even though I spend years in innovation, it's very different when it's you and a couple of people and that's it. It's also exhilarating. So it's a blend of feeling super vulnerable and worried about how you're going to keep the lights on with feeling kind of on top of the world, especially when it when it grows. And I think what was helpful for me, it was just to have been in those big companies and seen enough of what was working and also really to see what didn't work. So there's a lot of things, a playbook stuff that you leave behind if you're going to do your own thing, but that you also just take the, the gems along with you. But make a mistake, it's a scary step. And with this, we didn't have a business model because we didn't start it as a business. So it was perhaps even more terrifying.
0: Mm-hmm. That's another thing I was going to ask is that because it is so like natural and organic to then turn it into a brand and something that has legs to grow globally and people understand what it is uh, and it, that it has sort of like that, in a nutshell, this is what so far is, what kinds of skills did you pull from your previous Experience to take something that was just an idea that you loved to make it a easy sell brand across the world.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. A brand I learned and we all kind of know intuitively is about a couple things. The first thing is consistency. So if you're drinking Coca-Cola in Mexico and then you're drinking it in Malaysia, you know what's inside might be a little bit different, but it still should feel kind of the same. And so for me, a brand was about that consistency of certain elements that people come to expect. And then the second thing was about the consistency of the quality, which I definitely learned from, from Disney who are really obsessive about making sure that that experience is always incredible. And that's, that's quite a lot of work, but that was the thing and still is that kept me up at night. The sense of, I want every event to have so much in common. There's a consistent nature, whether it's so far Istanbul or so far Chicago, but equally I would like the quality to be a certain level that intuitively we know is, is, is good enough that somebody would go and go, wow, you know, Mm -hmm. there was, that was a really good night. So rolling something out in a way that scales, that's consistently good, that feels fresh. And then the next thing I learned was the importance of values, uh, you know, which, I guess it's just a way of how we treat each other uh, when we're working in a community, and so really early on, I was thinking about what are the things that we hold sacred that will never change. So, for example, diversity. So we like people in the room to come from anywhere in the city that they're in and feel that they're included. Another one would be uh, diversity of the music, and so purposely you could come to so far and have a hip hop act followed by a classical quartet followed by a folk band and that's okay and that's so far and so that mixing it up and that feeling of both diversity but inclusivity was super important for us uh, from from the very beginning and even now when we're doing it in so many places we hope that wherever you go you'll you'll feel like that we do sometimes struggle for example it's a lot of millennials coming which is awesome but I'm always saying, well, what about people under 22? Or what about people over 50? Or I want everyone to feel like it's okay for them to be there. uh, And it's not a certain demographic or age group. So there's other things, but the the sense of who we are and how we treat each other was always super important.
0: Man. and, And so now that you look back over the last 10 years, it's so clear to me when I look at what you stand for and those things that you pull out, those are reflected across the world from the other stories I've heard and from what I've experienced, uh, It's it has remained, which is huge. But when you look back over the last 10 years of so far, or really before that, if it makes sense, what is a big goal that stuck out to you or sticks out to you now that you can say, I'm really proud of this one moment or this thing that I accomplished?
1: Building a global community. So the global nature that we're all in this together something I've always believed and I thought sort of my secret dreams that I could create a community that everyone, wherever they were felt connected by something. And at the very beginning I had always thought, and I learned this from the bigger companies that we can connect everybody. And so the hope was, could we build something that people would recognize as truly global and that was truly accepting, which is where the word community comes in and our golden thread is and was about truly listening and taking in live music so that sense of piece by piece could we build a global community in the real world so people talk a lot about digital community and community of people on a certain website or part of a certain e-commerce business or what have you and that's sure that's community too but for me it was we're a community and we're physically in rooms around the world and When we're traveling, we're meeting the local community there and feeling accepted. So today, 10 years on to look at over 400 cities and growing and know there are actually people in all those cities who believe in the same things. And if I was to go and see them and have a coffee or a pint with them, we would feel connected and we'd feel like we knew each other already.
0: It's easier said and really poetically said than done. You know, I think creating community, everybody wants to do it. Somehow you've tapped into a way that it feels very easy, but it has not been easy, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> um, oh, no, it's exhausting. I mean, I, I, the amount of 3 a.m. nights I had, you know, we talking to somebody in Perth, Australia and seeing, you know, answering their questions about how to build so far in their city and banging away on what the rules were and and how to keep the guidelines and learning mm-hmm. from the community and making mistakes. Oh my God, we made so many mistakes. But then most importantly picking yourself back up the next day and moving on and adapting. And yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. I wouldn't trade it for anything though. Building community is constant and you gotta keep your eyes open. You have to look in the mirror, you know, and, and realize that those mistakes you make are, are normal.
0: And I'm sure that striking the balance between uh, creating the guidelines and the, the general, like this is our mandatory, these are the things, the non-negotiables, and then offering the freedom to create something that is unique and organic and creative. Like this is a fundamentally creative process. So to strike that balance and then long distance, I'm sure was also a, a huge challenge.
1: It was, but that's where the magic of working with the community comes in. So we knew one of our leaders, and specifically this was in Austin, Texas, wasn't really the right person. That person was putting on bands who were their friends and not particularly good. And we have a democratic system of choosing acts where people vote and there was no voting going on. So was anybody. And I know that person was, or had heard, getting drunk on the nights and nothing wrong with having a drink, but- can't really lead a special night when you're, you know, got a bottle of vodka in your hand and you're slurring your speech. So what ended up happening is we heard about it from the leader in Dallas. And that person said, hang on, you know, I heard some bad things coming out of Austin and I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm in London. I don't know how we're going to figure this out. Exactly. He goes, don't worry. I got your back. And he got in the car. Uh, his name was Jay and he, he drove there. And then he, he filmed the event secretly just to bring us some evidence of what was going on and when we saw it we we're like oh god this is a car crash but that's great the community was policing the community and that's a really important way that you can build a global community by empowering and entrusting people to help you
0: the help piece is key to be able to accept and ask for help
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: so when we think about looking at the future. I, I want to talk a little bit about goal setting in general, because I, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you write down what your goals are for anyone and everyone to read, and they're short and succinct. But what is the the reason behind placing it there? Do you have a specific kind of reasoning behind goal setting or saying your goals out loud?
1: Yeah, I think you said it really well. Saying goals out loud is powerfully two ways. One, I think any goal has to be tangible and measurable. So very early on with so far, for example, we're like, let's see if we can make it to 10 cities. Let's see if we can make it to 10 gigs a month. How about 20? How about 50? Whether you make it or not is less important than having a goal and then assessing why you made it or didn't make it. And I agree with you, saying it out loud is super powerful. I'm trying to learn Spanish right now and it's hard. And as soon as I say it to somebody and start diving in, you're already sort of, you feel like you're, you're on your way. And publishing it is also another way of saying it out loud. So if you put something on LinkedIn or any platform that we all use, I find that publicizing it and saying it in that way, too, really just helps reinforce that this is real.
0: Yeah, it's real, and you never know who might actually be able to help you that they didn't even know they could help you if they didn't know what your goal was. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent.
0: So when we when you think about what's next for either so far or for you in general, what is a big goal that you're working towards now, and why is it important to you?
1: I think so far is a good place to start. So we've had twenty five thousand artists at least perform, and. I would like to add a zero to that in the coming Mm. years of artists that we support. And so I would like to know that I've helped hundreds of thousands of artists in a tangible way. And the way we measure that is in cities and countries where we're incorporated, which right now is three countries and soon will be four. We pay them every time because so far started as a volunteer thing where we collect money in a hat, but now we charge a ticket price and that ensures that we can always pay the artists. And then at the same time, we want to do more events in more cities. So that means going deeper in a place like New York, you know, more and more gigs, but equally in new cities, like we just added a full-time person in Baltimore. So that sense of giving artists a platform and a place to actually play, actually get paid. And then they have a room full of people who are there that they don't have to do any work. They just show up and they play. And it's a quiet listening room of people who are there to take it in. That point we said earlier about mindfulness. So I want hundreds of thousands of artists to be supported by millions of people physically helping them along and helping them become more sustainable with their careers. And I guess where that's differentiated from maybe a traditional, let's say, uh, record label, who might make their money from a few artists or maybe hundreds in some cases, that's great, and I'm all for that. But I'd like to help those you know, up and coming artists, give them a little bit of a boost, and do it one day, you know, helping millions of people literally, and then creating this ex- special experience for people on the other side who are there in the moment, checking them out. Hmm.
0: And then, for you, as you are setting these huge goals to help hundreds of thousands of artists around the world and create these atmospheres of being in the moment for so many other people, what are some of the things that you do or that you need to do in order to practice mindfulness your, yourself to balance that, the opposing scale of like the rush of event hosting and management and growth?
1: Yeah, I think that. Mindfulness is super hard. I mean, we have so many things that are bombarding us every day. We all know that. I do find that one way to cut through is ritual. So in the morning, I do my best to keep technology away for at least an hour. And that could mean literally stretching or doing a workout, uh, having a healthy breakfast and some t- you know, some people will think of three things that they value in their life uh, or some sort of meditation. There's lots of different techniques, but the hard part is actually carving away the time to do that. And then at the end of the day, I find the same things true for me to have some sort of simple ritual where I switch off my phone, other technology, and I pick up a book or I'm talking to somebody uh, or going to hear music. But there's something that Shows that the work part of the day and the technology part of the day is fading, and you're picking up the tactile, real, you know, physical part of the day, mm-hmm. uh, whatever way you find to unwind. So, for me, th- those bookends of the day, the beginning and the end, I-, I think we need to be less about technology and more about just appreciating what's around us.
0: That's so, so hard to actually implement in in our daily lives? Because everything tells us to do something otherwise. Productivity always seems to reign.
1: <laughs> it's almost impossible. And I think we shouldn't beat ourselves up. So if you or I or anyone's able to do it three out of seven days a week, that's cause to celebrate. And then maybe the goal is to be able to do it four days. Uh, or if you can only do it one day, go to two. So I think that being a perfectionist and feeling like you've got to wake up, you know, and be uh, ready to to lead a retreat somewhere and be a guru, that is hard. I think it's really hard to go from zero to 60 super fast. So I've always been a big believer in, you know, slow but steady.
0: And that's the way that so far has grown, but slowly and steadily, but very quickly and steadily. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you know you do something you love in life, and it doesn't feel like work. It's such an old cliche, but I've always believed it, and I think that the what the 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 potency of carving that space to think of who you want to be and what you want to grow up to be in life, and finding a little time to to self-reflect makes a big difference.
0: Well, this has been such an inspiring conversation. I can't wait to attend the next So Far Sounds concert that I can find in Chicago. (laughs) Uh, And and they're all over the world, so people can find them pretty much everywhere that our listeners are.
1: Uh, Yeah, I encourage you to. And uh, Maggie, hit hit us up. Uh, Hopefully, it, it sounds like it's time for you to come back to London. Hit us up in London. And we've got a we've got a room for you to sit back and enjoy and stay in the moment with us. And yeah, anyone, anywhere, wherever you're traveling, see if there's a gig, and and hopefully we can meet you.
0: That sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the We Got Goals podcast, Rafe. It was an honor to have you.
1: Thanks for your time. I loved it. This
0: podcast is a SweatLife.com production. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you get a chance to leave us a rating or review while you're there, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mano for our theme music. To our guests this week, Rafe Offer. To Ryan Deffitt for editing. And of course, an extra special thanks to you, our listeners.